Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. Let's begin today with a question. As a woman, how do you make yourself seen and heard in a male-dominated workplace? We all have our own methods and strategies, and what works for me based on my experiences may not work for you, and vice versa. On today's show, we're going to add race to the equation and talk about navigating stereotypes for Asian American women in leadership roles. We'll also talk about raising your hand, promoting yourself, and paying it forward. Our guest, Stephanie Yonakura, knows what it takes to be a great leader. So much so, she rose through the ranks as a federal prosecutor to become the acting United States Attorney for the Central District of California. Now she's a partner at Hogan Lovells, an international law firm, heading their global investigations, white collar, and fraud practice. She's also on the firm's crisis leadership team. What I enjoyed most about my conversation with Stephanie is it gave me an opportunity to walk in another woman's heels and learn how we can better support each other. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Hello, good morning. Stephanie, you are now this big-time attorney at the international law firm Hogan Levels, but I knew you back in the day when you were a federal prosecutor, also known as an assistant United States attorney, or AUSA. You had this great reputation with my fellow FBI agents because you would take any case, big or small, and you would work it with the same tenacity and care. So what made you want to be a federal prosecutor? I went to law school because I wanted to be a trial attorney. And then when I heard about what it was to be an assistant United States attorney, it just had all of the right qualities of a job. So you get to do trials, but you have no real client necessarily. Your only job is to do justice and work with federal agents to prosecute crimes and to do the right thing. It's a little, it sounds a little Girl Scoutish, but that is the wonderful part of being a federal prosecutor. Your only real responsibility is to do the right thing. That is so important. It's very gratifying to have that opportunity to serve. Let me just say that it says a lot about you that you had such a great reputation with the agents because as FBI agents, we expected our AUSAs and I say are, because agents would tend to claim our federal attorneys when we would find one that we really wanted to work all of our cases with. But you seem to be a one-stop shop because you were well-versed in so many different violations. Can you share what your area of expertise was? Sure. I focus mostly on white collar. So that can range from any type of government fraud, mortgage fraud, healthcare fraud, benefits fraud, uh, but then also securities fraud, so insider trading, and then take it to the other side of the house of white collar with public corruption. I did all of those types of cases. And then then as the acting U.S. attorney, definitely oversaw some of the great cybersecurity cases that you and your team brought. 
And going into trial, it is, especially going into federal court, it is a very intimidating process. I've been into federal court, and I remember I had a 12-defendant case, and it was me and a female prosecutor, and it was all of my male defendants and all of their male uh, defense attorneys, and it was a male judge. So what was it like for you to go into that environment as a woman doing your job every day? You know, I loved it. I think that the best way to go into trial is to be prepared. I always said that I wanted to be the most knowledgeable person in the room. And so I was ready every single time I went to trial. And the benefit of that situation is that people underestimate you. So I wasn't intimidated by the fact that it was an all male room for the most part, other than many times me and my female agent, just like you were, you were talking about. Uh, instead, it was rising to the occasion and letting them underestimate you, but bringing it home. I, I love that. Were you always confident? Because I remember meeting you for the first time and you are very intimidating. I mean, you are super smart. You don't come in a really big package, but you have this presence about you that you better not mess with Stephanie. That's that's not a smart thing to do. <laughs> Gina, that's nice. Uh, was I always confident? Probably. Um, I think that comes from a couple of factors, and I try and do this to my children, but it's very hard. So I grew up with Asian parents. Both of them were second generation, but what that means is they stressed hard work and gave very few compliments. And when you don't do your work for compliments, but just for your own sense of pride and accomplishment, then you're not answering to anyone and you don't feel like uh, you need other people's approval. Put on top of that, that I am the youngest of four and the only girl. So I had three older brothers growing up. So there really was no room to not have confidence in that situation. Right. And you brought up an interesting point, being an Asian American, working in an all-male dominated field. What was that like as far as being a leader? As we talk about leading like a lady, it, it doubles down, really. So when we talk about the problems or, or the hurdles that women face in male-dominated professions, it is double for Asian Americans because for Asian Americans, we're looked at as the model minority. Not only are we grouped together with dozens of different countries and cultures coming together under one flag, but it is the fact that we're looked at as the model minority. And with that comes their own stereotypes and prejudices. And the ones that stick out, even as I continue in my practice of law, is that Asian Americans are viewed as hardworking, which is great, but they're not viewed as leaders. They're viewed as supposed to be behind the scenes doing all the grunt work, but they can't step up and lead an organization or a matter. And that part uh, is hard because that's many times how women are looked at in the legal profession and the white collar community overall. What did you do to change that? Because you wound up going on to become the acting United States attorney. So you led the United States attorney's office for the Central District of California, the second largest U.S. attorney's office in the country. 
it was a combination of my background, but also really great mentors along the way. The U.S. attorney right before me was Andre Barat. He's now a federal judge. And he just was super supportive and made sure that I claimed my own, right? So some of the things that we used to talk about is having a seat at the table. It is this stress or this inner struggle when you are a woman and you're Asian American, because you don't usually try and claim the spotlight. And so sometimes in the beginning, when I was the first assistant, which is second in command, I would go to meetings and not sit at the table. I'd walk in the room and I would see how many seats were at the table. And I thought, okay, the FBI agent goes there, the U.S. attorney goes there, the head of the DEA goes there. And so I would sit against the wall and not at the table. And it very much took Andre and others to, to say, Stephanie, you need to sit at the table. You're supposed to be here. And then paying that forward. I have told every woman on my team since both at the U.S. Attorney's Office and in my law firm, that exact thing. They need to be vocal. They need to have a seat at the table. So what other things did you have to do in order to be vocal to raise your hand? You have to ask for the right cases. When you're at the U.S. Attorney's Office, you have to ask your supervisors for the right cases. But if that's not happening, and this came naturally to me and you referred to it at the beginning, you develop relationships with the agents, with the FBI agents and other agencies, and you show them that you're going to do hard work and you're going to be aggressive and you're going to be a team member. Some AUSAs have issues. I know that you, I'm sure, had this experience where they don't treat the FBI agent or the agent as an equal, and that's just a mistake. Uh, and they're going to they're not going to get the good cases down the line and they're not using the the valuable resources that are at their disposal. So it is claiming the right cases, but putting yourself in a position to get those, not only from you know the hierarchy at the U.S. Attorney's Office, but also by developing relationships with the very people who are working the cases and bringing them in. So essentially extending your network out so people know who you are. Yes. Network is so important. I do think that's where I've benefited. I am a people person. So I like to connect with people. I like to develop relationships. And you don't see that necessarily for the benefit of your career when you're doing it, at least when you're younger. But I have seen that pay off in so many ways in my later career because the people who I developed relationships and trust with early on, then continue to rise in their careers and their organizations. And so a broader network absolutely pays off. You are one of the most selfless people I know. But in order to rise to the top, there is a certain amount of self-promotion that you have to do. So what do you think about self-promotion? And when you're not the type of person that feels good about promoting yourself, how do you go about doing that? You just have to remember to put yourself out there. It, it is, for people like me, counterintuitive. I am definitely a team player and like to have the team rise together. And I still do that in my group at the firm. We say all boats rise together. At the same time, you're right, there is an element of necessary self-promotion. And I think being the U.S. attorney 
uh, or the acting U.S. attorney helped me with that a lot because it took it to the to the next level of having to do uh, press conferences, having to go back to the Department of Justice in D.C. and fight other districts for cases. And you learn how to uh, self-promote and make sure that your voice is heard in those circumstances. At the firm, we have a process called, it's your superpower. So for women, we have these pins and we say, what is your superpower? And for other meetings with my team, we start with the statement, my name is Stephanie Yonakura, and I am good at, and it's hard at times, but you have to get used to it and you have to practice it. My superpower at the firm, at least, is straight talk. I will tell you what I'm thinking and where you stand, but in a way that has high EQ and is for our mutual self-development as, uh, as opposed to bring people down. And that is something that I remember that you are really, really good at, because when you were the United States attorney, we were sort of having an issue with one of our big cyber cases at the FBI, and you had to go to bat with DOJ for us. And we always knew that when Stephanie was going to bat for us, that she was going to win. So how did you make sure that when you had to go into the trenches like that, that you could be effective? I think it's the same with the trial. It's being prepared, knowing the facts, knowing your team. And I knew we had the best team. And so that's easy. That's easy to sell. Sometimes people, when they have to fight for something, they get this feeling that, okay, well, I don't want to be looked upon as being a bitch, or I don't want people not to like me. You know, what advice do you have in that scenario? You know, Gina, that's so funny because. For a very long time, my best friend is actually an FBI agent, and we have both said we embrace the inner bitch. Um, <laughs> I don't have a problem with it either. <laughs> exactly. And I have a 16-year-old daughter, and I tell her that she cannot be concerned about whether or not people like her if she's acting with the right intentions and acting with integrity. So I never make it personal, even as we're, we were battling for cases with districts, even if I thought the other team was the weaker team, you don't make it personal. You don't criticize the other team. You promote your team. So our team was the best placed. Our team was the best. And you don't go into the mud to get your way. And then if you have the belief that you acted in a professional manner, then if in the back end, people don't like you, but you believe that you acted with integrity, then you just have to move on. How do you not take things personally? So you go out there, you have this big battle, maybe you win, maybe you lose, but there's still going to be hard feelings. How do you walk away and not feel guilty, not think that maybe I should have said this, or maybe how do you not beat yourself up? I've learned to really compartmentalize. I have a hard time with the word, even though I do it. I've learned to compartmentalize my life, really. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't bother me at times, right? And so I do think that it's having self-awareness to see the accuracy and sometimes constructive criticism and learning to grow from it. And yet, on the other side, if there are hard feelings following a battle that you fought with integrity, I can let those go pretty easily. 
it's that taking criticism part that can be a challenge. I know that's one of my challenges for sure. You know, it's funny when we talk about that though, right? Because at the same time, I relatively believe I can take (laughs) criticism pretty well. You need a support network to decide what criticism makes sense to learn from and what criticism you can just try to ignore and move on. I do find in mentoring young women attorneys or or minority or diverse attorneys, sometimes we have to assess the validity of the criticism itself. And so then it's a hard road to navigate, to make sure that you're self-aware and you're growing from truly constructive criticism and yet also trying to get through the noise of some criticism that could have implicit bias issues. Do you want to talk about implicit bias? Are you doing something with that? At the firm, there's a professor, Jerry King at UCLA, who's really a leader in this field. And so we had him come and talk to the firm about that. There are implicit bias issues as it relates to, I believe, women and diverse attorneys, just like the area of law enforcement. It has been so dominated by white males for so long that we have to make sure that those who are evaluating the attorneys coming up in their careers aren't trying to use a metric that just has that white male role model as the only way to to progress. And so, yes, um, we talk about the implicit biases of having women or diverse attorneys do the administrative tasks or the party planning or the associate morale building, the associate training, all those types of tasks are usually given to the women or the diverse attorneys. Now, sometimes it's because they are the more personable and empathetic, but it's making sure that if those tasks are being done by women and minorities, and that makes sense, that they're being rewarded for that activity on the back end, just like they would be rewarded for their billable work. So now you lead the Global Investigations White Collar and Fraud Practice at Hogan Levels. You are in a leadership position there. You lead a lot of women's groups in in a mentorship capacity. I lead a lot of diversity groups and women's groups. Uh, I find it is super important. It's actually funny, Gina, when when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, even if it was a, a male-dominated kind of sphere, there were role models along the way for, for women to progress in the office, right? The second U.S. Attorney, while I was in AUSA, was a woman, Deb Yang. And there were always women in leadership positions at the U.S. Attorney's Office. And so you could look up and you could see that it was possible. It was possible to be a woman and to get to the higher echelons of the office. It was possible to be a working mom and get to the higher echelons of the office. At the firm, we have those same role models, but they were they are fewer and far between. So I take my mentoring role much more seriously at the firm than I did at the U.S. Attorney's Office because I had many others to help me carry that burden. At the firm, I do feel like the combination of being an Asian American woman partner 
in the investigations area and being on the leadership team makes it so I need to make sure that I'm fighting for those women and minorities at the firm who don't feel like they have a voice or can't see a clear path. And why is that so important to you? I think it's important to pay it forward. I think it's important because in that model minority myth, people do look at Asians as having made it, that they don't need any more help. But then if you look at the partnership numbers across the country uh, in, in large law firms, there is what's called a bamboo ceiling. Justice Louie from California wrote a paper about this, about the bamboo ceiling that exists. And so because I have a place of leadership in the firm and my voice might be heard a little easier, I do feel it's incumbent upon me to use my voice uh, for that greater good. If you were to give advice to the women who are coming up behind you, what advice would you give? I tell uh, the young women coming behind me to raise their hand, ask for things. I was just in a call the other day where uh, one of our Black partners was talking about why versus why not. And so he was talking about the fact that many of our white colleagues or white male colleagues say, why not me as a partner? And diverse attorneys or women say, well, I don't know. Why would I, why would you choose me as a partner? And so it is raising your hand, making sure that you ask for the assignments that you need to grow and self-promoting. But I think you also have to be your authentic self. You have to grow and make sure that you're confident in your authentic self to be able to sell. But you don't have to fit the mold, right? When I was coming up as an attorney, a young attorney in you know the mid-1990s, it still kind of was a world of golf and country clubs and cigars and, and sports. And that's not necessarily, that is not actually the picture anymore. There might be segments of that, but we have women general counsels. We have women leaders that are hiring. And so now just be your authentic self and work hard to have presence and promote yourself in that manner. That is great advice. Stephanie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Gina. You are a fantastic uh, leader yourself. I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLOsborne.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash LeadLikeALady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts.